The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel. And we're back with Hello Monday, a show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. We're kicking off season two by taking you to Los Angeles, specifically to the home of an actor I love, Anna Ferris. We recorded this episode in her study. We're sitting on a low, tan, L-shaped sofa. We've each got a glass of wine. Anna is so funny, like downright hilarious, and so sincere that it's easy to overlook the fact that she is both scrappy and savvy. She's been a working actor for two decades. She's made 17 movies. She stars in Mom, the sitcom on CBS. It launched its seventh season this week. And she has this absurd advice podcast. It's called Anna Ferris is Unqualified. To do all of this, Anna has had to figure out how to be proactive, to accept roles, but also to create them. It took persistence. In 2008, when she first pitched her own movie, she took it to producers 24 times before she sold it. She's had to figure out also how to avoid being typecast. You know, Anna is funny, but she's much more than that. And she has wrestled with how to be a person, a human, at the same time as she's a celebrity. There's a tension that comes along with being, well, a brand. We've talked about it before. Whether you're a social media influencer or a Hollywood celebrity, everyone knows brand you, but not everybody knows you. Here's Anna. Anna, it's great to be here with you. Thank you so much for being here. And I think so much about the part of your career that I get to see, which is the part where you are in front of the camera. And it occurs to me that I bet that most of your job happens when you're not in front of the camera. And so I want to know, first of all, how you would describe your career. That's a really interesting uh, sentiment. Um, sentiment correct? I don't know. But the idea that most of my job occurs um, when I'm not in front of the camera, I think that it's, especially when doing mom, I mean, we rehearse, which I love. I love being on the floor because when you're doing single camera stuff, you're waiting in your trailer for everything else and you your mind starts to spin a little bit. But with, with doing a multicam, you know, we're working all the time. We're memorizing our lines, which then change. And then I think there's also, which, and this is a long conversation too, but I think that there's a need now for people in the entertainment industry. Um, you have to be proactive. So 1999, yes. Scary Movie was your first big break. Yeah. You've been in this career for two decades and you began by saying, you know, you, you have to think now about original content. And I, I assume, I think that means about sort of developing your own relationship with your audience. And I'm curious how that's changed over the last couple of decades that you've been doing this. So in, uh, so around 2005, that we had a writer's strike, but it wasn't just that. It was towards the end of like, the glut of teen movies. And there was um, this, uh, at least I had this fear of like, I'm never going to work again. And I think all actors have that fear most of the time. But 
I was really feeling it because I wasn't getting auditions. That like it felt like there was um, I, I was hitting a place in my career where I had to be more proactive than I had been. It wasn't just about auditioning anymore. It was about creating your own content. And so, and, and how old were you at that point, And how far along were you in in your acting career? I was twenty nine, thirty. Is that about right? Well, no. Okay. So wait, this would have been two years. So yeah, somewhere in there. Late 20s, early 30s. I had this meeting with Kiwi Smith and Karen Lutz, who wrote um, Legally Blonde and 10 Things I Hate About You. And they asked me if I had any characters in mind. And I said, I don't know. I've been thinking about this. Like what happens when a Playboy bunny gets too old? And she hasn't like quite like who boots her out and and then does she does she have like a meth addiction and does she go back to like her you know her abusive stepdad and the South and like she's kind of judged for having been a like lower echelon playboy and they were just looking at me and nodding they were like oh yeah huh, huh. and then they they called me later and they were like well we loved your idea but she could become a house mom at a sorority. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, all right. <laughs> but but I think, and then we pitched that movie 24 times. And that was the first time that I had really been proactive like that. Um, we pitched that movie 24 times. And on the 24th time, we sold it to Happy Madison with the support of Adam Sandler and, and Sony. Um, and, and then truly like a month and a half later, we were starting to shoot. It was incredible. It was incredible. It felt I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. And so it was, it represented a, a sort of a shift for you because you were in some ways proactively taking control of your character. Yes. Yes. In my career. Exactly. Yes. Because it, before I, um, especially doing some of the comedies that I had done in the past, it felt like I was, uh, I, I call it sort of a bounce card to the male lead where it's like, you know, the eye-rolling character or like, you can't do that, which I'm too messy to fit into that that girl, I guess. Well, that's a difficult one because, Hannah, it feels to me like a lot of the women that I see on television in the movies are are written as that girl. How do you get deep, rich, meaningful roles, roles that you enjoy playing? It is really hard. It is incredibly difficult because uh, especially... I viewed myself, I I never thought I would be able to make money acting. I But I, I, I grew up in uh, north of Seattle in the suburbs, and my parents encouraged it, so I, I, I was acting at a pretty young age and do, doing, like, you know, Seattle theater. So I was around adult actors, which was incredibly, uh, it, it was... It was me, very meaningful for me, especially when I... I um, I did not fit in at school. I hate it when actors talk about that kind of thing, but but that's how I felt. Um, you didn't fit in at school, and so acting became your yeah. It was my it was my escape, and to to be able to work with adult actors in a professional at a professional theater was like that became very um, that was very molding for me, I guess. But uh, anyway. So I always viewed myself as a very dramatic person. I wouldn't get that from talking <laughs> with you for a few minutes. But I think that it's like kind of a different, there's a difference between a dramatic person and a person who seeks drama. 
in my opinion. And I felt like I was a dramatic person that was just lonely and and felt like they felt things um, a little bit more deeply than other people, which is such a stupid thing to think. It's a very naive thing to think. So I like... Oh, well, look, I think you should take that back. First of all, I think that that is... That feels true for many people, and right, it particularly exactly. feels true at a certain chapter of your life as you are trying to figure out how to move from childhood into an adolescence and somehow claw your way into adulthood, which is a mystery for every human being who tries to do it. But the the my being like now forty two, it's like I look back on that young person, and it's like, of course, everyone. Everyone felt things deeply. It's like, why was I a snob? A quiet, like, short, headgear-wearing, like, snob that's like, I feel things more than you idiots. <laughs> like, that's just stupid. But, um, but so then when I got Scary Movie, though, I, when I, which I'm so grateful for, but I did end up uh, in sort of the world of comedy. And I didn't realize how divided in in Hollywood the, the the idea of a comedic actress and a dramatic actress was or actor or whatever however I have mixed feelings about the whole thing we can talk about that later I don't know so I, I do think that it's I, I couldn't get auditions for anything dramatic it was felt like I was in this uh you know sort of like relegated to this sort of spoof movie genre or something which made me in my 20s arrogantly feel angry which was also stupid because it was like I'm making money I can buy I can sell my Honda Accord and get something else because I'm in spoof movies but I did I did feel like how do how how can I get this town to see me in another way I feel less so I'm much more of a sellout now as your brain gets becomes more numb as you get older. Doesn't that happen though as you get I mean, look, we're we're very close to the same age. I that trace my own path through writing in similar fashion, you know, the period of time when the mark of success was writing a like magazine feature for the New Yorker felt so visceral for me. Yes. And today, like the thing that is important to me in the middle of my career is that I have good work that compensates me well and allows me to be my authentic self. What do you miss about, um, like, what, what do you get out of podcasting that's different from writing? Uh, the depth and intimacy of a conversation that's longer than my pen and allowing the person that I'm spending time with, in this case, you, Anna, to tell their own story rather than giving their story over to me to tell. I mean, look, you're... Oh, that's so interesting. Right? You're, you're trusting that I'm not going to edit out all of the things that you say about yourself, but I'm giving you the platform and... Hopefully, I'm giving you the opportunity to tell your story. But I do wonder if, like, because that's part of the reason that I started my podcast. I started my podcast for a number of reasons. Um, one, I wanted a platform. I loved podcasts. I, I love podcasts, I should say. But I, I started it because I wanted to have, in sort of like the Instagram and Twitter world, um, and, and I, I'm doing mom and I was doing mom at the time when I started it, I wanted a platform where I could, uh, feel like I was myself that wasn't controlled by anybody else, by another journalist or whatever, N not, but, but the bigger thing was, so that was a benefit to be able to the attempt to sort of control my own story, even though I really thought that like, you know, whatever, four people would listen, but I also really wanted to 
talk to strangers outside of this, like most stranger interactions that I would have, there would be the, the weight of, oh God, I sound like such a jerk. But why, why do you keep saying that? You keep saying that every time you step toward owning the fact that you are a celebrity in a brand. Because I because there's no there's absolutely no logical reason that I would be treated in a better way than um, than any other anybody else. And I had this time like I don't know I got kicked out of a bowling alley right after Scary Movie got 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 released. Um, and I was with my cousins up in Linwood, Washington, and I said those words. I said, do you know who I am? And I was like 23, and I woke up the next morning, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm the ugliest person. Like, I cannot believe, I can't believe that I, I accepted the idea that because I get, A, get to do what I love, but I say other people's words and make faces for a living and sit in a luxurious trailer and get an egg white omelet in the morning that I embraced the idea that that somehow that makes me more worthy than anybody else. And so when I hear myself saying words like this right. on the podcast, it makes me... Um, it makes I'm cons I just I'm constantly like I I just want to check myself with those things. I think it's important to check yourself, but I also want to flip that. When I arrived here and we met a few minutes ago, you know, one of the first things you said to me, you said, "Oh, I feel like we know each other," and I said, "Well, we haven't met, um, but I know you because your mom." I don't know you, Anna, and that I felt immediately bad as soon as I said really? it. I did because I thought. Gosh, like that is such a weight for you to carry around. Like you do a beautiful job playing mom. But this is my opportunity to know you. And in the job that you have, in the career that you have, it is harder to know strangers because they have to peel away a lot of what they think they already know about you to see you. Yes, yeah. I do think that um, the relief in with doing our podcast was, you know, we we call strangers and and it's not celebrity oriented it's like they tell us something personal and and thinking about how I yearn for that I yearn for like a normal well I don't know if it would be a normal stranger interaction but I yearn for connection and this is probably true with a lot of actors but that there's a comfort in in attempting to escape into another character and then you don't have to... Like, I think that's why a lot of actors get really uncomfortable when they go on talk shows. Because you're playing this weird heightened version of yourself. I'm really bad at them. Coming up after the break, Anna and I talk podcasts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Now back to Anna. She started recording her podcast back in 2015. It's called Anna Ferris is Unqualified. 
And in it, she and a producer friend chat with celebrity guests like Zach Braff or her mom co-star, Allison Janney. And then they call listeners and offer advice, mostly about matters of the heart. You think college breakups or that boy who's just not that into you, but maybe he is. It's pretty goofy and it's pretty popular. Okay, so let's talk about the podcast because you got into podcasting way before podcasting was cool. So how'd you figure out how to do it? Oh, God, I didn't. I still don't. I I bought four microphones off of Amazon. And in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to set up a website and uh, invite people to ask me advice questions. And I'm just going to, you know, sort of uh, drink wine with my friends and uh, see what happens. And then um, my dear producing partner came on board and we were able to, you know, like I would just go to mom, work all day. People would come over to my dressing room and I would just talk into a microphone. It was awesome. <laughs> it was, but you know, it, did, did those people know what you were doing? I mean, I, what, your, one of your first guests was Allison Jenny. Or, your... Yeah, no, it was interesting because I bet, and I wonder if you experience this too, that a lot of people, um, when you have guests, they haven't listened to your podcast, so they don't exactly know what's going on. So it'd be like, and now is the time to call strangers. And we would... <laughs> Start calling somebody in Omaha or whatever, and, and somebody would be like, in like the celebrity guest would be like, "What the fuck is going on?" But um, but I'm really proud that it was. It felt like a. You know, it felt like it feels like it's a different format, and I and I feel like uh, like ninety percent of the time, our celebrity guests would walk away, and they they would feel like I would get a lot of like that was way more fun than I thought. But I do wonder about like where the sort of the future of, of podcasting is going. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. If you figure that out and you could call me later, I would appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I think it's sort of a wonderful moment that way, right? There's, there's so much money streaming in for creative people and creators to try their hand at this. And there are tons of new formats being tried. And then you have to ask the question, well, why, why do some work and why do some not? And what does it even mean to work? Like right. if you can find somebody to pay you for your work, to cover your costs, and you can make a thing that you love, and you find an audience of 15 people who love it deeply, is that working? Like what, what, what are we trying to do with podcasts? I guess and Buy Blue Apron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we just don't know what the model is yet. But, uh, right, but, right. We, but when, I, when they work, I think it's they, they work because people in the podcast are their authentic selves. And we're all, we're all so lonely out in the world. Oh, we're, my God. How we're casting yes. it out, right? And yes. We're, we're trying to find something or someone oh. that sounds like something that we recognize, that can tell oh, us something. Oh, you are tapping into something deep with me. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. But I do think in this, like, the whatever the world of of aesthetic and the, and the pressure that we have to swipe left or right, I don't know, or what, or like, and and presenting um, our ideal life, um, it does. I I, ho- I have faith. I don't have a lot of faith in much, <laughs> but I do have faith that there will be a desire. There is a desire 
for intimacy without pressure, without comparison, with just simply like, um, oh, yeah, that happened to me. I, I hope. I, that's maybe a simplistic way to put it, but... It's vulnerability. What you're talking about is vulnerability. Yeah. And when you have people call in on your show, you manage to serve your guest who is with you, speak to your audience who's interested in hearing from them, and also not let that stranger down. And that, to me, is an opening that you're making for people to be vulnerable with other people they don't know and trust that it will be okay. And that's sort of the opposite of what a lot of the internet is pushing right now. Thanks for saying that. And I'm not one to judge, like, I'm, God, I cannot judge anybody. But I do want to, um, I want other people to know that they're not alone. That the, you know, like, I have spent my whole life worried that somebody doesn't like me. Or, you know, or like that, that I'm, you know, a failure or could I have done this or, you know, like, and, and I know that there, and there's so much comfort in the idea that, that most people feel that way. You must have figured out in the 20 years that you've been doing this so far, how to speak to that voice and quiet it, how to not worry so much whether people like you. Oh God, no. Really? No, no, I, I, no, I think that I have a, a kernel of pride that keeps, that's like buried deep within me, but, but it's strong enough to, to um, propel me through the day and feel like, yeah, I, all right, I delivered that, that line the way that I wanted to, which happens maybe 20% of the time. I don't know. I, I think that we're constantly looking for... Approval, and if you're not constantly looking for approval, what does that fundamentally say about you? Or like, like, are does that mean that, like, that would be very disconcerting to meet somebody who um, had everything figured out and didn't need anything from, you know, society? I wish that I didn't. I would envy that person, but I would also think that there's something a little psychotic about them because I couldn't possibly relate. And I'm in a profession where I'm supposed to relate. I, yes, you know, I, I, I want to go back and just sort of tie up this idea of the relationship between your acting career and your podcasting career. How, how are they connected? I think that the podcast gave me sort of the ability to be, oh God, it sounds so blame, to be myself. But... <laughs> But it's but it's true. Like you know, you spend a career playing characters, which I love, and whatever, doing voices and and wearing costumes and 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 I love that. And then when you do publicity, there's that horrible uncomfortableness of of like, I don't know how to sell this movie or sell this thing without feeling like a jackass. Because even if you love the project you're in, it, invariably it's like you know you're you have five minutes with a journalist, and they're like, "So what was your like? What was the craziest thing that happened on set?" And you you're like, "I, I don't I don't know when the gaffer like threw a light at, um you know the second AD I like smacked him broke his nose like we all hate each other <laughs> we. Don't, but, but, 
I think that playing so so it felt to me like such a relief to be able to um, to feel like myself in a somewhat public forum. But but truly though, I know it sounds corny, but more importantly, being able to talk with people that um, strangers that I would never have been able to talk to about the issues that I felt like yeah, I get, I understand this and it's not about me. It's not like about like whatever the, the stupidness sometimes of, of, of Hollywood. And, and it felt like a relief. It felt like such an escape. It does. It feel, it feels like this is grounding for me in a wonderful way. But I do, I, I, I do want, I, like, I, I do love them. I love any, like somebody who can call up on a podcast and and ask like why you know why I I hooked up with this guy uh he's told me he really loved me and uh now he's not calling me back it that's something that I don't know most of us can relate to and and I so I, I found there's a lot of reward in that do you think that your podcast has enabled you to do different or better things in your acting career that's it um, that's interesting. I don't know if it's affected my acting career, but I do think that it has given me a sense of freedom. So I guess indirectly, yeah, yes. I, I mean, it's given me, the the people who like my podcast, like sometimes, like if I'm at the grocery store or something or the airport, if somebody tells me that they like my podcast it always feels surreptitious it always feels like we have this secret because the that and so that satisfaction that I'm giving intimacy and they never want my picture they it's it it feels like we have this cool connection and it that in of it's I guess gives me confidence to explore and build other new formats does it feel like you have built an audience in your podcast who likes you for you and knowing that you have this audience that likes you for you, you can go out into the world and be all these other people because you know that when you go home, there's an audience who likes you for you? Yes. Yeah. 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 It does. Because I can't imagine if you hated me that you would still listen to my podcast because it <laughs> is a lot of me. <laughs> and we're grateful for that. Thank you for asking such nice questions. Thank you for being here. That was Anna Ferris, actor and podcaster. And look, do not call me if your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. Relationship advice is not my bag. But I can give you career advice. Are there questions so burning for you that we should look into them? Email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com or post on LinkedIn using the hashtag hellomonday. And maybe we'll feature you in an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. And join me next week for a conversation with Jerry Colonna. He's a career coach. He's worked with high-profile leaders like the CEO of SoundCloud and the founders of Gimlet. And he has an unusual approach. As Jerry says, We're wired, socialized, to actually not even pay attention to our hearts, let alone the hearts of those with whom we work. 
Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Laura Sim. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Dave Pond is our technical director. Maya Mangini makes the trains run. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. We had additional help for this episode from Victoria Taylor. And yes, that is new theme music you heard, written by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday, and thanks for listening. Wait, can I ask you something, though? Oh, sure. Okay, so I know we touched on your podcasting and how you do enjoy it. Very much. Um, the intimacy. Um, how does your wife feel about it, and how, like, and you have a new baby... Uh, it's interesting. How does my wife feel about it? I have, I, I'm blushing a little bit. You can't see it, but I have the most amazing wife. And I, I say that because it took me a really long time to fall into love that like worked really. I love that. And, um, and so she listens to all of the rough drafts and critiques and she loves everything. She is like the most, um, discerning critic. And her answer is always like, do more, put yourself in more, be more yourself. Yes. And, and sometimes I'm like, well, but I would have to talk about you or I have to talk about our son. And she's like, great. But do you ever feel like because you um, are a journalist that you don't allow yourself to be always intimate? Oh, yeah. It's so uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable. I'm right now thinking about how to turn this back on you. I'm, I'm almost no, there. No, I'm almost there. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're yeah, on. We're, I mean, we're, like, no, no, is... no. <laughs>